So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 25 today. That's where we're going to be hanging out and spending most of our time. And, uh, and this is a fascinating story to me. Um, because we're, we're still in the second act of David's life. David is on the run in the wilderness. And, and, and in the midst of this, we have this odd uh, little story the, that, that pops up right in the middle here. And, and it's, it's really in some ways unlike any other story that, that we've seen in the Bible, but, but it's, uh, it's fascinating to look at because this story um, is it's a story that stands out for, for one who's involved with it, but it also stands out not so much for what happens, but for what doesn't happen, what almost happens. And, uh, and this is a story about David and Abigail and, and Nabal. And this is a story about David being distracted from his purpose and David being reminded again of who he was and why he was and, and being set back in his path again. And, and this is a fascinating story to me to see David, someone who is a man after God's own heart, who, who we've seen to this point living and operating within the, 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 the will of the Lord to get to this point and be completely distracted from his purpose. And it's hard to see in David, but at the same time, we recognize what it's like to be distracted. We recognize what it's like to find ourselves wanting to follow Jesus or wanting to raise our families right or wanting just to be better people and then finding ourselves distracted by big and small things, by, by, by major world events, but also just the niggling matters of day-to-day life that, that distract us from, from who we are and what we've been called to be. And we see that David is, uh, is, is equally susceptible to this as well. So as we jump into the story in, in 1 Samuel 25, we see that at the beginning of the story, Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned from, for him, and they buried him at his house in Ramah, and then David moved to the desert of Paran. Now, I don't think it's incidental to this story that Samuel dies at the beginning of it, and then David loses his way. I think Samuel had a, a great influence in David's life, and I think that, that when Samuel died, David kind of found himself adrift. He was, he was lost, but... He, he, saw, he goes to the desert of Paran, and a certain man in Maon who, who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife, wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. So um, uh, just to get us our, on our map here first, just so we can understand where we are, David is in the desert of Paran, which is in this area right here, okay? And then this story happens in between Mound and, and Carmel. So it happens in this area, but this is where David is spending most of his time if we just want to uh, get ourselves geographically situated in the story. So we see in the story that there are, are a few main characters. We have David, who we've already kind of gotten to know pretty well. And then we also have uh, Nabal and his wife, Abigail. Now, Nabal is interesting. So we, we have um, uh, Abigail. She was an intelligent, beautiful woman, and then she's immediately contrasted with Nabal, her husband, who was surly in all of his dealings. Now, Nabal is an interesting uh, name because uh, we're not sure if that was his real name because Nabal literally in Hebrew means fool, um, which is an odd name for parents to give their child. Like, that seems like an unfair way to just start a kid out in life. But 
um, what, what a lot of scholars believe is that in other Semitic languages around the area, there, there's a name, Naval, which means archer. So, most, so there's reasonable evidence that the man's parents named him Naval, archer, but then because he was a jerk, everybody called him Nabal, which means fool. So we start to see how his, how his attitude toward other people has changed their perception of him. And he was, he was a Calebite. Now, a Calebite could refer to two things. Um, one of those things could be that there was a group of people called Calebites who were not really part of the people of Israel, but they were already living in the Promised Land when the Israelites arrived, and they just kind of sat themselves in there, and they were always kind of the outside. Um, the other thing is that Calebi, the word that's here, also means dog-like. So um, that's another thing that it could mean. So all that, but, but what we get here is that we see Nabal, and he's a person who is rich and not very nice. He becomes like a stock character. So the story goes on. Now, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing in all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give us whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. Now, this is interesting because this could be construed that David is running a protection racket right now. That David has uh, this like four, six hundred person army, and he's just going out and he's saying, "Send a message to Nabal that nothing bad has happened to him yet. We don't want nothing bad to happen to him. So make sure that so that something gets in, put in our pockets, right? That's a way that you could interpret this story, and it's a fair thing to say. We're gonna find that's that's probably not the best interpretation as it goes on. Like, but but it's okay if you read this and you're like, is David gonna be in the mafia here? That's a fair thing for you to interpret. But as we will see later on, what David has kind of done is he genuinely did protect these sheep shearers. He genuine, genuinely did protect these, uh, these shepherds. And it's interesting to see that David is, is left with the problem of, of, of living in what is essentially a lawless land with a king who is more interested in his own interests and, and his own pride than in, than in protecting the people around him. And David has to live under him. And the, one of the things that David does with the gifts that have been given to him is that he uses this force of 600 people who are following him to, to protect the people. And, and, and when it comes to feast time, he's asking Nabal to invite him in and allow his people to participate in the feast that Nabal, that Nabal is throwing. This isn't an unreasonable request. And, and Nabal could have, without too much cost to him, brought David in and, and pacified him in what he was doing. But Nabal chooses to be something different, do something different. When David's young men came, they, all, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days that are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Now, this speech of Nabal's is designed specifically to troll David. He is, 
he is intending to infuriate David with this speech. Because he's saying, who is David? David, of course he knows who David is. David is the most famous person in the entire kingdom at this point in time. He's the boy wonder giant killer. Everybody knows who David is. And then he says, there are many servants these days who are, bre who are breaking away from their masters. He's already discussing the, the, the rift between King Saul and David the outlaw, and he's making it quite clear whose side he is on, that he's on the side of the, uh, of the legal king right now and not on the outlaw David. And then he says this, shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who have come from I do not know where? Who is David? I've never heard of him. This is intended Rather than responding to, to what David has done in kindness and, and sharing what he has, he instead insults David and, and inflames the situation and, and, and poo-poos the request. And, and this speech is intended to diminish and demean David. This is intended to make him feel small and insignificant and, and for Nabal to say, I'm rich, I'm powerful, I don't need you and you will get none of my stuff. So when David hears this, we can imagine how David responds. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. So David, immediately after hearing this insult, straps on his sword and rolls out with 400 men. And we know what happens next. And the reason why we know what happens next or, what, or what's planning to happen next is because we've seen this story before. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at David at Kila the last time he rolled out with 400 men. And David rolled out with 400 men in, in 1 Samuel 23, and he had these 400 people, in, and he heard that the Philistines were attacking the, the, the threshing floor at Kila. And he inquired of the Lord and said, God, should I go and attack the Philistines at Kila? And God says, yes, go and attack the Philistines at Kila. So David goes back to his 400 men and says, God told us to go attack the Philistines at Kila. And his 400 men say, nope, we're not going. We're, we're scared, angry, and distressed people here. We're not going anywhere near the Philistines. David goes back and inquires with the Lord again. Then he comes back and says, God told me to go. I'm going. And the 400 men roll off with him, and they, God gives them a victory over the Philistines at Kila. But it's so interesting that to contrast this time that he rolls out with 400 men to the last time he rolls out with 400 men. Because the last time he rolled up with 400 men, he inquired of the Lord twice before he did anything. His men were reluctant to follow him. They didn't want to join him on his task. And the last time he rolled out to save Kyla, it was specifically to save a group of people from oppression and, and, and from injustice and from thievery. And now he's rolling out for his own pride. This time, when he rolls out, everyone's eager to join him. They're like, okay, David said, strap on your sword, strap on your sword. This time, he doesn't inquire of the Lord at all. This time, he's only going out to appease his own pride. We see that David is distracted. David's purpose, and we've seen this throughout his life, was to follow the Lord and to use his strength to lead people and to protect people and to care for them and to serve them. And what's he doing now? He's looking out for his own interests. And why is he doing it? Because his pride has been offended. David's lost the plot here. He's been distracted by a fool. 
and it's turning him away from his own purpose and the purpose to which God has called him. So the story continues. One of the men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by day, night and by day, and all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. So we see already at the top, David wasn't running a protection scheme. He genuinely did protect these people from marauders. He genuinely did make sure that none of their sheep were stolen. He did make sure that they were safe. And they respected and, and, and appreciated what David had done for them. But, but they have this worthless man who is, who is spitting in David's face about, what, 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 uh, about this. And it's interesting to see that David is right and has done right by these people. But he's being responded to wrongly. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down towards her and she met them. So we start to see the, the, the scene developing where, where David in his fury is riding out with his men. They've got swords strapped on. They're ready for a fight. And Abigail comes out to meet them. It's also interesting to notice that, that Abigail is able to, to harness these resources pretty quickly without Nabal noticing. So Nabal could have given this to David without any harm coming to his pocket. He just chose not to because he was being a jerk, right? So she, Abigail thinks on her feet, problem solves, and gets them food and, and, uh, and, and responds in the complete opposite reaction to Nabal in his foolishness. And as she's riding up the mountain about to confront David, she overhears him saying this. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have, I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has returned to me evil for good. And God do so to the enemies of David, and much more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Okay, David, this speech is demonstration that David has completely lost the plot. First of all, the, the English translation uh, cleans it up quite a bit because it says, if I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David's language in the Hebrew is actually much ruder. It's uh, more literally tra translated as if I leave anyone who pees standing up. So that's kind of the, it, it's, a, it's a very kind of rude la and angry language that David is using. But it's also interesting how he has lost the plot here because his problem is that he has done good to Nabal, and Nabal didn't notice, so that good was now worthless. Really? So, it's, so if you do good for someone, David, and you wonder if Samuel was still alive, if he would have had a conversation with David that went something like this, like, okay, David, so if you do good for someone and they don't notice, then, then that's a worthless action, then there's no... No point in doing that good? That's what you really think, David? After how long that you followed the Lord, if you do work for someone and they don't appreciate you enough, then, then, then you're going to 
be hurt and respond in this way? Is that why you do things, David? So that other people will notice how good you've been to them? Is that why you do right things? So that other people will see what you've done and, and reward you accordingly? David was performing for the wrong audience. And we often get caught up in performing for the wrong audience as well. Because it's so easy to get distracted by the fools of this world and find ourselves doing things to make people appreciate us and doing good for people and having them respond to us in evil with evil and if and if we and if they don't notice and reward us then two things happen one we're disappointed and second we keep trying bigger and better things to make them notice we tie ourselves into more knots and we try harder and their response to us is never commensurate to what we put in and this can lead to dis- and this just leads to more disappointment this leads to more bitterness this leads to more anger this leads to more frustration and this leads to more of being distracted from what God has called us to rather than doing what he has placed us on this earth for because doing this good that David had done and protecting the shepherds and keeping them from thieves and keeping them from assaults and keeping them from the Philistines it was never for Nabal it was for the Lord That's who had called him to do it. And that's who was going to reward him. So if David was expecting that Nabal was going to give him the reward, he was looking in entirely the wrong place. If David was thinking that Nabal was the person that he was doing this for, then he was as big a fool as Nabal was. Because it was never for Nabal. It was for the Lord. And we find ourselves in the same situation where we work and we work and we work and we work for other people and we think that the other people are what we're doing this work for, but it was never for our children that we worked so hard for them, that we did our best to raise them. It's never for our children because they're never going to appreciate it enough. It's not for our children, it's for the Lord. It's not for our parents that we're trying to be successful and trying to, 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 to live morally and do what they have raised us to do. It's never for them because they're never going to appreciate it enough and experience what we've overcome because it's never as hard as they had it. It's never for our parents. It's always for the Lord. Our work and, and diligence for the Lord is never for a church full of people that will never appreciate it as much as we want them to, who are filled with imperfect people who are distracted by their own motivations and their own desires all the time. It's never for the church. It's always for the Lord. Our work at our job is never for our boss, who's never going to give us the, as, me, as much rewards and raises as we think we deserve. It's not for our boss. It's not for our coworkers. It's not for all of the people who are going to sit down on social media and give us likes and appreciations. It's for the Lord. That's who our work is for. And if our work is for the Lord and we understand that, it's never going to be in vain. But if we start working for other people, expecting them to give us the affirmation that we need to survive, we're always going to be disappointed. And we're going to be fools as well. But if we remember this, if we remember that our service is for the Lord, then we become invulnerable. Because the Nabals and fools of this world have no power over us. Because we were never expecting their affirmation anyway. So when it's removed from us, it doesn't hurt us. We become invulnerable to their attacks. We become invulnerable 
to them letting us down. We become stronger because our trust is in the Lord who is always going to reward us for the work that we do for him. And that, and then our work will not be in vain. So David, at this point, like us often, is completely distracted. He's forgotten who he is and why he's here, and he needs to be reminded. So Abigail does this. When Abigail saw David... She hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent." Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, okay, so I'm going to, okay, she's calling David my Lord. I'm just going to substitute the word Yahweh in because that's an all capitalized Lord, which is Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible. It's just going to make it easier. Uh, So now then, my Lord, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, because Yahweh has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your servants, for Yahweh will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of Yahweh, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you both shall live. It's fascinating what Abigail does in this moment. She reminds David of who he is and what he's been called to do. She reminds him who has called him as surely as Yahweh lives, that Yahweh has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Who sent you here, David? Abigail is reminding him. Yahweh did. The Lord did. And she's reminded, reminded him how far his current path is from the one to which he had been called. Because as he was sent out to protect people, now he's out to commit murder. But God has saved him from blood guilt. She continues, If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And as the lives of your enemies, and the, sorry, in the lives of your enemies, he shall, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, sorry, when Yahweh has done to my Lord according to all the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when when Yahweh has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servants. Not only does she remind David of who he is and why he's here, she reminds him where he's headed. It's like God has promised that you're going to be king. Do you really want this on your record? Do you really want to become king over Israel for God to bless you and then all of a sudden you have to deal with the reality that, oh, I also slaughtered Nabal and stole all this stuff. But we're just going to look the other way on that. If you trusted the Lord this far, why will you not trust him at this moment? And she reminds him of the consequences that will follow him on the way. And thankfully, David hears her words and allows her words to penetrate his soul. And David says to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. 
Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. Vengeance is whose? Vengeance is the Lord's. We forget that. We ought to use, there are times when David had to be violent in order to protect people. There are times when David had to step out and, and use the strength and the physical might that God had given, given him to destroy the enemies uh, of the Lord, to destroy people who were trying to assault and murder other people. But vengeance is always the Lord's. For surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had been not one left in a ball, so much as one male. Also, again, with the rude word about the people who be standing up. Then David received from his ha her hand which she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. He recognizes the truth in her words, and not just the truth in her words, but recognizes that her words are the words of the Lord. And he realizes that he's been spared from doing something as foolish or worse than Nabal had done, and thus becoming a fool himself. And he goes his own way, not only sparing the household of Abigail and Nabal, but also sparing himself from committing this grievous sin, and, and sparing his own men from having to participate in this massacre with him. And all this didn't happen, and some of the most important things in our lives are the things that don't happen. All of this ha didn't happen because Abigail stepped forward in the words of the Lord and reminded David who he was and why he was here. And David opened up his heart, and God opened up David's heart enough for him to allow that in and remind him who he was and why he's here. And we see that God knits this story together well at the end, that Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king, and Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him all these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as, as stone. Uh, a lot of scholars speculate that he had a, a stroke at this point in time, that, that, that realizing that David, had, had, he had been this close to a massacre that he had a stroke, and he became as stone. And about 10 days later, the, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And then the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, and they said to her, David sent us to take you to him as his wife, which I guess was a thing that you could do then. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David, and, and this is the, the beautiful and awkward thing, about the Old Testament, that, that God gives David about as full a victory over Nabal as you can imagine. Because not only does Nabal end up dead, uh, David also ends up married to the man's wife. I'm still alive, I get your wife, and it all comes without David forgetting who he is. This is important for us to remember. That in our lives, some days we're going to have victories, some days we're not. Some days we're going to have uh, so, some days we're going to have things that go our way and some days we won't.
but but God is tying all things together in his justice. And it's okay for us, as David does, repeatedly in the Psalms, to ask that God deal with our enemies. It's an interesting thing how we're instructed to, to pray for our enemies. Sometimes the best we can pray for them is, God, please do to them as they deserve. But we've been instructed that, that, God, that we hand that over to God, that vengeance is his, that we take that burden off our own shoulders and give it to him and say, I will not strike back out of vengeance, but God, you deal with these people as you ought. And in his amazing might, victories do come slowly, surely, and in eternity they come. So this is the story that we have of, of Abigail the beauty and Nabal the fool and how they worked to distract David from who he was and why he was here and how they also worked to bring him back and remind him who he was. And, and this is a story that we live out constantly. Most of us, the stakes aren't so high. Most of us don't experience the same level of, of, of having someone deny us something and then we're going to destroy them and murder them and all of their family. But we do have people that don't treat us as we would like them to treat us and then we, we feel that anger rising within us that just calls us out to destroy them. And we need to push that back and push against that and say, no, this was never for you, it's for the Lord. And we feel that within us as well, that there are people around us that are, that are trying to remind us who we are and why we're here, that we have been sent here to, 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 to bless the world, that, that we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is it's really tough to do sometimes. But we need people around us that are going to remind us of that. So as we head to communion this morning, as we head to singing songs together, we just ask that, that as we read this story that we would be reminded of the distractions in our own lives, but that we would be pulled back to becoming God's disciples as he has called us. Let's pray together. God, there are many Nabals in this world, and sometimes we're the Nabals. And we ask that as we, as we follow you, as we listen to your word, as we sing songs to you, that you would remind us again who we are and why we're here. Help us not to be distracted by the troubles of this world, because soon they will be done. And we ask that, that as we follow you, that you would help us to, to, to continue to follow the purpose that you've given us, to build, to protect, to have dominion over, to care for and to shepherd, and to, to, to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us not to be distracted from that, but help us to truly follow in your path as your disciples and trust that you are caring for us now and in the future. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.